Good evening and welcome to The Pulse. In part two of tonight's show, university students from the mainland recently requested their classes be taught in Putonghua. But before coming to Hong Kong, didn't they need to prove their ability to speak Cantonese, the course's language of instruction? But we begin with a topic that strikes fear into the hearts of many of us, cancer. October was International Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and many specialists are warning that Hong Kong women still remain relatively unaware of the risks and need for early diagnosis. The number one cancer affecting women in Hong Kong is breast cancer. In fact, in the last 20 years, it has risen from less than 1,000 cases per year to now 3,000 cases a year. So it's a threefold increase in the last 20 years. In the old days, we get very actually limited treatment options. And nowadays, we've actually got various kinds of options, different combinations, be it targeted therapy, chemotherapy, we have injections, we have oral tablets, and we have various kinds of options available. So with that, this has become a chronic illness. So people are actually living with the disease. Last month, the Hong Kong Breast Cancer Foundation organized a breast cancer awareness walk. It is the ninth year of the activity, which is increasing local knowledge about the disease. Apart from individual participants, many corporations took part in the awareness campaign. See what you see in our, on sort of our retail side, which is selling merchandise to create uh, a certain amount of revenue for donations to breast cancer. We also do other things internally. We conduct uh, breast cancer seminars and awareness talks for our staff in the staff canteens. Oh, in fact, we have some corporates who will um, um, promote um, screening to their employees and for those who are low income, they may subsidize a little bit as well. But despite such incidents as Angelina Jolie's high-profile acknowledgement of her preventive mastectomy, many local women remain unaware of the risks, the possible causes and even the need for regular self-checks. The Breast Cancer Foundation's fifth Breast Cancer Fact Report contains data on the lifestyle and medical history of close to 10,000 local breast cancer patients. It's the most comprehensive record in Asia of patients' risk exposure, their cancer patterns and treatment patterns. Uh, over 75% of the patients do not have enough exercise. Uh, inadequate exercise means less than three hours per week. So on the average, we promote people to have at least half an hour exercise uh, every day. Two-thirds of the patients do not have a history of breastfeeding. So we know that uh, breastfeeding is protective against breast cancer for women. So without breastfeeding, this is considered as a risk factor. A third of our patients uh, consider themselves un live un living under stress 
in uh, more than 50% of the time of the week. And a third of them is considered obesity by definition of the body mass index. 但我其實本身都喜歡做運動的人其實我也喜歡吃東西多彩的其實其實我也喜歡做運動的人其實我也喜歡做運動的人其實我也喜歡做運動的人其實我也喜歡做運動的人其實我也喜歡做運動的人其
So and and also the point is, uh, since it is what we call an involuntary exposure, you 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 don't want to be exposed, but you you you're bound to be. Air quality has always been a headache for the Environment Bureau. The government says pollution from road traffic is the worst offender, but there's also pollution from the Pearl River Delta. The number of days on which the air pollution index exceeds 100, which indicates a high health risk, are increasing. The government set air quality objectives in 1987. They were revised in 2007 to limit the concentration levels of seven major air pollutants. But those revised guidelines will only be implemented next year. The government's also laid out a new plan to improve air quality, tightening the pollutant emissions from vehicles, ships and power plants. Other bureaus are also involved, and substantial capital is being invested in the plan. However, compromise with different stakeholders isn't easy. When we really get rid of all the pre-Euro 4 vehicles, it will be in 2020. And it's not good enough because um, every day we're still breathing. We are going to have to replace over 80,000 vehicles. This is the biggest program of its kind in the world. It will take a number of years for all these vehicles to be replaced. And we have to roll out a program where the owners of the vehicles also feels that it is within that, a period of time where they can make the transition. So I think we've come to an agreement essentially with the owners and with the trade. Emissions from container ships are also considered a major source of air pollution. The new Kaitak cruise terminal will increase such emissions, but it won't be until next year that the government will begin discussing mandating the switch to cleaner fuel when ocean cruisers berth in Hong Kong. If you look at the um, Kowloon East uh, area, you can, you can see that it's uh, actually a very um, busy uh, residential district. And already, in terms of roadside pollution, it is not particularly good. Um, now that we have a new Kaitak terminal in place, that means an uh, extra source of um, air pollution is coming in. Meanwhile, according to the Headley Index, which monitors and publishes data on the economic costs and public health impacts of air pollution, the long-term health cost is rising. After all, it's not something that the doctor can solve. It is not a problem that the Environmental Protection Department alone can solve. It's you know, something to do with transport, something to do with economics, something to do with environment and with health. So it, it, it's complex, but I think uh, the important lesson is uh, we need uh, the people at the top to recognize this problem and to really uh, you know, put his heart at solving the problem. Recently, Mainland Chinese students studying for a Master of Arts in Chinese at the City University of Hong Kong requested that the teacher use Putonghua as the medium of instruction, as they have little understanding of Cantonese. Local students insisted that Cantonese, the course's designated language of instruction, should remain as the medium of instruction. After this incident was published in the local press, the university announced in an internal email that the teacher would use Cantonese as the medium of instruction, but use Putonghua to explain key points. 
Hong Kong's tertiary institutions do request that both local and non-local postgraduate students should have a certain level of English before being admitted to courses. Some even encourage non-local students to learn Cantonese, but there's likely to be more pressure as more mainland students apply. Currently, over 60% of the postgraduate students at the eight university grant committee funded institutions are from the mainland. Fewer than 10% are from the rest of the world. There is no limit on how many non-local students can be admitted for research postgraduate programs. Well, isn't it all very simple? Shouldn't students who are admitted to local universities be able to speak the course's language of instruction? With us in the studio are former Secretary for Education and Manpower, Joseph Wong, legislator Ip Kin Yoon, who represents the education sector, and Professor Chak Wong from the Chinese University. Joseph Wong, can I come to you first? As uh, Minister for Education in uh, 1998, you, you introduced the program to encourage mainland undergraduate students to come to Hong Kong. Why did you do that? That's correct. Uh, I think, first of all, because we always, we always have uh, postgraduate mainland students in our universities who are doing very well. Huh? But we never have any undergraduate university that, that, uh, university students from mainland at that time. Uh, after the handover or reunification, I thought it might be a good idea if we attract some really top-notch undergrad students to come and study in, in Hong Kong universities. But I must hasten to add, this move is only one step of my vision at that time, which is to have more international universities uh, in Hong Kong. So mainland students is just one step to internationalize our universities. Well, let me ask Professor Wong, because uh, you're obviously still teaching in the university here, how's that working out, internationalization of Hong Kong universities? Uh, it depends on what you mean by internationalization. Right? It means by uh, having non-Hong Kong students, then the percentage actually is quite low. In the, like, I mean, Hong Kong University, Chinese University, HKUST, actually at the top uh, 50 rankings, the top 100 ranking, depends on how you rank it in the world. And the percentage, I believe, is actually one of the lowest in the world. If, even if you count, uh, 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 like, more than 90% of the undergraduate students are actually uh, from one city, meaning Hong Kong, which is very rare. If you ask, like, Harvard, like, how many students are from Boston, you will find a surprisingly low number. So, and um, any famous universities in the top 100 ranking will have a very high percentage of students not from that particular cities, which the so, university so is saying. All your focus is, is on quality. You don't really mind where they come from. Well, it depends on what we want our university to be. Do we want them to be top ranking universities in the world, or do we want them to be community college? Right. These are very, these are very different visions, right? And uh, I believe that students should be admitted by merit, and by merit only. Well, let me ask, Mr. Rip. I mean, the 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 fact of the matter is that we do have conflict in universities between mainlanders and local students over language of instruction and other things. Do you think this is really a problem, or is it just some passing phase? 
Well, I think uh, there is a certain problem, but uh, it's not as big as you know, uh, many people think. Well, um, the, the problem now we are facing is that, uh, from a point of view, uh, many of the Hong Kong students are not be able to get into the research uh, post uh, bachelor de degree programs. And Could that those be because they're not good enough? Yes, there, there, there can be many reasons. Uh, so we have to look into why that situation uh, no, uh, is, is there, and we should probe into it, and to find out ways to you know to get Hong Kong citizens more educated, and that is very important to you know to to let Hong Kong uh, people have a much higher education <coughs> education achievement than than nowadays. May I disagree here, actually? Uh, the number of postgraduate students entering into university uh, or entering the postgraduate program for Hong Kong actually is extremely high. I mean, uh, the figures speaks, of, uh, speaks the truth. So if you talk about research programs, right, each year close to uh, including coming to Hong Kong or going abroad for postgraduate university students, almost 10 to 15 percent of the undergraduate students actually go into research programs. And then actually for taught program, even just in Hong Kong alone, there are about 20, more than 20,000 uh, taught postgraduate students. But each year, there's only 15,000 undergraduate students graduating from Hong Kong. So the number of postgraduate uh, places actually is way more than the number of undergraduate students. So in fact, I, mean, I think our main problem is we have too many of this. Well, let, let me ask Mr. Wong, as, as a matter of public policy, should it be public policy that in universities, the emphasis is on local students. Does the government have an obligation to basically say, we're here to look after our own people? Well, I think you have to look at it uh, in two ways. First of all, in terms of an undergraduate program, mind you, the government and the taxpayers subsidize 85% of the cost. So surely you would expect the majority of our local students should get the benefit. So I totally disagree that Hong Kong t taxpayers, in order to get the best from the world, is subsidizing the best students from, uh, 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 from the world. Research program, we, we are more flexible because we understand that we really want to get the best to do our research programs. Top programs, uh, most of the top programs these days are self-financing. So in that respect, universities also have a lot of flexibility to really recruit the best from the, from the world, from the region, uh, and not to uh, have a fixed percentage on the number of local students. But in that respect, I do also believe, after all, we are local universities serving the needs of local students. So maybe there should be a bit of a balance. Let's take what you've just said, and if I may return to the mm. language issue. I mean, there is a feeling in Hong Kong now that Hong Kong people want to retain their identity more strongly, and this is expressed through speaking Cantonese. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? Do you think universities should, in fact, be emphasizing Cantonese? Well, I think in Hong Kong we used to have uh, two languages. One is Chinese, one is English. But by um, Chinese, it's specifically Cantonese that people actually speak. Well, uh, if you look back to the history of Hong Kong and uh, two languages 
the both languages are very, very important in Hong Kong. And we speak Cantonese as a daily use language uh, with our relatives and our family. But we, when we went to uh, work places and, uh, or went to study, uh, English is often a very important language. So I think uh, we have been adopting a policy to boast both languages, written and, and spoken in, in Hong Kong. For, for So we expect all the students are uh, able to speak both languages. But your point of view, I believe, is that actually it sh the medium of instruction should simply be English. Uh, well, I believe that the language of instruction should be what actually the modern world requires it to be. So, and we can talk about cultural identity and things like that, but I believe that I teach in the business school now, now try to get a student who speak Cantonese only into business world well these days. I just don't think it works. It depends on the well, program. I'm <laughs> sure it does, but I'm, I'm really sorry. We're out of time. Okay. And we'll be back at the same time next week. Until then, goodbye.